0: Good afternoon from the University of Southern California and welcome to Annenberg Radio News for April 30th, 2015. I'm David Hidari. The USC Department of Public Safety notified students last night of an alleged sexual assault committed by the driver of a car service. Reporter Kate Guarino was live in the studio with a story.
1: The alleged incident happened in the early hours of Saturday morning in the 2600 block of Ellendale Place. According to DPS, a student reported she was on her way back from a party in downtown L.A. LAPD confirmed the student used Uber but said the alleged assault occurred in a residence, not in the car itself. The student told DPS that she does not remember the incident, but she later contacted the driver who told her they had sexual intercourse. The alleged victim does not remember giving consent. In January, the university announced a pilot program allowing USC students to take Uber for free within campus cruiser boundaries. The alleged incident did not occur as part of a USC Uber ride. USC transportation was not available for comment.
0: The last of four defendants accused of murdering a USC student was ordered to stand trial today. Sinranji Ranjie was attacked near campus while walking back to his apartment last summer. Los Angeles Superior Court Judge MLVR denied a defense motion to dismiss the charges against Andrew Garcia. She said there is sufficient cause to require the 19-year-old to stand trial. After the hearing, the G family attorney, Rose Sai emphasised the pain felt by those close to Xi. Uh,
2: it not only broke the family, it broke each individual in the family. So the criminals who committed the crime should you know, pay for what they've done.
0: The district attorney will decide later whether Garcia will face the death penalty if convicted. The judge also ordered Garcia to stand trial in connection with an attack on a couple at Dockweiler State Beach less than two hours later. California's American Civil Civil Liberties Union is launching a new smartphone app for recording police interactions. Ben Abbott has more on the story.
3: The ACLU's Mobile Justice California app will allow users' videos to automatically upload to their local ACLU server. The release of the app comes at a time of heavy criticism of police officers' use of excessive force. Across the country, cell phone footage has been a key factor in exposing cases of police abuse. This new app aims to increase transparency of police interactions with the public by making sure that no footage is lost. As soon as a user hits stop, the video is automatically uploaded to the ACLU server. So if an officer seizes the phone or destroys the phone or deletes video, a copy will be preserved. That was Peter Biebring, senior staff attorney of the ACLU of Southern California. Biebring also says the app will alert users of any incidents near their location. The ACLU hopes this would get more people to record video at the scene. ACLU organizations in other states, including New York, New Jersey, and Missouri, have already released similar apps. The LAPD and California Police Chiefs Association were unable to be reached for comment. Ben Ebert, Annenberg Radio News.
0: Former rap mogul Suge Knight pleaded not guilty today to charges of murder, attempted murder, and hit and run. Knight is charged with killing one man and injuring another in a Compton parking lot. Knight's trial is set tentatively to begin on July 7th. Today was the 8th annual Spring Green Expo at the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California. Residents gathered to learn more about sustainability. Reiner and Iftos has more on the story.
1: The subject seemingly on everyone's mind lately is the California drought.
4: California is in the middle of an extreme drought. We're having all sorts of environmental challenging issues in front of us.
1: That was Jeffrey Keitlinger, the general manager of the Metropolitan Water District. If you've been worried about water usage, you might have been interested in the vendor at the Spring Green Expo selling turf, an alternative to grass that does not need to be watered. This vendor was one of the many who showcased their art, products, and services to about 800 attendees. Some of the event's seminars included California-friendly landscape on a budget and growing your own food in drought conditions. The goal is to educate the public about growing water shortage concerns. So it's a
4: tremendous moment to get awareness on these issues. We're trying to build a sustainable Southern California, both in energy and water and all our demands on the environment. And
1: NASA make- says the drought may cause California to run out of water by 2016, but the Expo hopes to extend that deadline a little bit longer. Rania Niftos, Annenberg Radio News.
0: The attorney for the family of a homeless man shot on Skid Row said they have filed a claim for $20 million against the Los Angeles Police Department and the city. Cameroon native Charlie Lundu Kunang, also known as Africa, was shot March 1st by LAPD officers. The autopsy showed that he was being held down as he was hit and kicked. The claim also accuses LAPD and its officers of excessive force, assault and battery, wrongful death and constitutional violations. Next up, we have Ken Mashinci telling you everything you need to know about this weekend's sport.
3: It's a big weekend in sports. It kicks off tonight with the NFL Draft. The three-day event starts tonight at 5 with the first round. Rounds 2 and 3 will be Friday, and 4 through 7 run on Saturday. Quarterbacks Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota are expected to go first and second night, and USC defensive tackle Leonard Williams is almost a sure pick in the top five. Saturday is jam-packed with two historic events. Saturday afternoon is the Kentucky Derby. An American Pharoah is a 5-2 favorite to win and will start in the 18th post. And Saturday night is the moment that has been at least five years in the making. Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather will face off at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. The 38-year-old Mayweather puts his undefeated 47-0 record on the line against 36-year-old Pacquiao. The two are the top-ranked pound-for-pound fighters in the world. Ken Masenshi, Annenberg Radio News.
0: Like 9-11 and December 7th, today is a day that will be forever remembered in infamy. Sarah Collins has the story.
2: Every Vietnamese person, living there or elsewhere, knows the day April 30th, 1975. It was 40 years ago, on this day, that the Americans surrendered to the Viet Cong and the Vietnam War came to an end. USC senior Vincent Nguyen talks about what this date means to him.
3: It's a good day to come together and just Kind of remember why you're here and you know it's kind of like for me personally it's kind of it's like kind of understanding the sacrifice my parents made in leaving the country and coming over here and giving me the opportunity to be
5: raised in america
2: 40 years ago on april 30th he said his mom was forced to evacuate from saigon to a coastal town his parents eventually fled from vietnam in the 1980s in search of greater opportunities According to the Migration Policy Institute, the fall of Saigon led to the U.S.-sponsored evacuation of nearly 125,000 Vietnamese refugees. John Deutsch has been an English teacher in Vietnam for years and also served in the U.S. Navy during the war. He talked about the eerie experience of shelling northern Vietnam territories while receiving no-return fire. Here you,
4: you were part of the, the biggest military in the world by far, just as we are today, yet
2: losing. Deutsch says that today, however, little evidence of the American presence in Vietnam remains. But many in Vietnam and abroad are still affected by the highly controversial war. Sarah Collins, Annenberg Radio News.
0: The Los Angeles City Council's Budget and Finance Committee denied a funding request this afternoon for more outreach efforts. Today's decision comes after less than 10 percent of eligible voters went to the polls in the March primary elections. New voters need to register by Monday for the May 19th election. And if you've ever wondered about the origins of curious words and phrases, here's Ciara Lunga with today's Root Source.
2: In the canon of four-letter words, this one is the (laughs) f***ing worst. The word f*** is supposed to have entered the English language around the 15th century. In Middle English, before f*** was used, the crude word for doing the nasty was swive. Take that as you will. The earliest instance of the word in English is probably the name of a field listed in a 1373 Bristol charter. F***ing Grove. Sounds like a fun place to be. A 1475 poem uses the word, saying, The friars are not in heaven because they f*** the women of hell. Sorry, CeeLo, today you can't say on the radio or on TV, although some have tried. In fact, f*** is number one on George Carlin's list of seven dirty words, which also includes sh- TISS, c- t- co- c- t- c- MOTHERFUCKER, AND
0: t- Richard Reeves is a best-selling author, journalist, and senior lecturer at USC's Annenberg School of Journalism. He's written about presidents in America's finest moments, but his new book is one of our nation's worst moments. The book is Infamy, The Shocking Story of the Japanese-American Internment in World War II. Reeves sat down with Logan Healy.
5: So, Professor Reeves, let's let's kick it off. Why did you write this book? I
4: wrote the book because I knew enough about the internment concentration camps for 120,000 American-Japanese in World War II, and I wanted to do my bit to make sure that never happens again. Seems to me very possible that if we would do the same thing again to Muslims if there were enough incidents of terrorism at home.
5: What was America like at this time that allowed for this internment of 120,000 people to happen?
4: I mean, obviously the key event was the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Japanese employees of the city of Los Angeles, for instance, were all let go. Schools expelled Japanese-American students. For the first couple of weeks, the press was urging calm and saying, you know, there has been no trouble here. There wasn't any sabotage in Hawaii before Pearl Harbor, and we should all remain calm. That lasted about two weeks, and then the press turned, and it fed uh, the racism. The Japanese had been uh, treated like minorities of color are here, and greed, The Japanese, for instance, controlled 40% of the agriculture in California, and the white farmers, the Caucasian farmers, wanted that land. They had a huge fishing industry, and other fishermen wanted those waters and those boats. When those people got out of the camps, they had nothing left. Their bank accounts had been frozen. They couldn't pay their mortgages. Their property was foreclosed on and given to uh, white neighbors,
5: So you did talk to some survivors, and what what did they have to say, you know, having gone through the camp, coming out with with nothing?
4: They didn't say anything for about 30 years. And the Japanese, the generation, the Nisei, the first generation of immigrants who were all aliens, so they could be locked up. But their kids, the Nisei who had been born in America, were American citizens, but since they were children when it happened, uh, their parents never really told them what they did until about the 1970s. And then suddenly people began to talk and write about what had happened.
5: When you talked the, about the, the media's role in causing some of this fear to happen, and, and part of the media at that time was Dr. Seuss.
4: Well, th- the media really drove the internment, the roundup, At the beginning, but politicians quickly followed whatever the media wanted and was saying. Walter Lippmann was the most famous columnist in the country, and he bought the line pushed by Earl Warren, who was then the attorney general of California, that the fact that there had been no sabotage meant they were planning a big wave of sabotage. Two days after he did that, Franklin Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066, which was used to put the American-Japanese in camps. And among the people who joined that bandwagon was Theodore Geisel, who was the editorial cartoonist of a newspaper in New York who did one of the most famous cartoons showing Japanese with buck teeth and glasses collecting dynamite and then looking out to sea in telescopes waiting for the signal from Tokyo to start sabotage. His name was Theodore Geisel, but we got to know him better later as Dr. Seuss.
5: You know, I did read after that uh, Dr. Seuss wrote Horton Here's a Who as an apology for his contribution yeah. to the internment.
4: A lot of people apologize. You know, America is, um, we're people of the present. Our answer to almost everything we've done is to move on.
5: You, you talked earlier about this could possibly happen today. Why, why do you think that's so?
4: I think that uh, mass hysteria has always been A part of American life. Our whole constitutional system was designed to avoid that. But again and again in history, government has responded to the mob and the mob has responded to government. And that's what happened to the Japanese.
5: Well, Professor, thank you so much for stopping by the studio. The book is Infamy, the Shocking Story of the Japanese-American Internment in World War II. And I'm Logan Healy, sitting down with Professor Richard Reeves. Thanks very much. You can listen to the rest of that
0: interview on ARN's interview podcast, Match Volume. That's it for today, and this semester, we've had help from Mark Salinger and Diana Lee. Our board operator is Derek Renfro. Rebecca Gibbon is the newscast producer and the executive producers are Andy Visoyan and Logan Healy. For all of us here at Annenberg Radio News, I'm David Hadari.